everyone. Welcome to There's a System to This Madness podcast. I am your host, Osaze Shabazz. Each week, I talk about the difficult situations we face by peeling back the layers of politics, education, and culture. Today is April 9th. Let's see what's going on. The first thing I wanted to talk about was the wave of businesses that have been voicing their opinions, I guess, or their disapprovals in regards to the voting restrictions that have been implemented in the state of Georgia. As some of you may know, Georgia is the home base for such business as Delta Airlines, Home Depot, Martin's Biscuits, a number of uh, businesses have major corporations and factories here. And one by one, they are all starting to voice their disapproval of the voter restriction that have been um, implemented and signed by the Republican Party for the state of Georgia based on, you know, I mean, let's be real, it was, it was a lie. It was based on the fact that former President Donald Trump made accusation that there was a great amount of voter fraud in the states that he lost, let's say it like that. And I guess having also fear of the possibility of losing control, the Republican Party set out to make a lot of restrictions and stipulations that, you know, a lot of stuff that on their part, they want to say that it improves aspects of the voting process. However, overall, the majority of the stuff that has been implemented, it's, it's really just stuff that it, it hinders. And, you know, and I guess my thing is I've always stated that things like, I guess, giving water out, um, limited time on getting to the polls, the limited number of, I guess, ballot boxes and, you know, having ID and all this type of stuff. I guess my thing is these things should not hinder an individual from voting. Because as I've said in the previous podcast, they are not taking away your right to vote. They are just taking away certain things that have benefited the Democrats. And again, you know, I've always gone back to the fact that if you don't like these implementations that the Republican Party are doing, get off your ass and vote them out. And see, when you say things to people about why you don't like this and how it can be rectified, the common answer that you always get from a lot of Democrats, especially minorities, first thing that jumps out of their damn mouths is about they don't vote for, as they like to say, the small elections, the local elections, the citywide elections. And they don't understand that this is where all these things start from. The Congress in Washington, the Senate in Washington, the president in Washington 
had no say so in any of these rules or stipulations that have been implemented in voter restriction in the state of Georgia. All this stuff starts with the state house, the state Senate. These are your local elections. And see, when you confront people in regards to who is your state rep, who is your state senator, who's your school board, who's the mayor of your city, a lot of these people don't even know. And they don't understand that these are the people. This this is where the power is at. That's why when people say the House, the Senate, the White House is now controlled by the Democrats, but Georgia is a red state because the state of Georgia is controlled by Republicans. The state of Arizona, despite the fact that it has representatives that are Democrat, senators that are Democrat. However, Arizona is a red state. These states are putting in play laws that would guarantee that the next election, they're not going to lose because this is, this is how Republicans play. Democrats, they play this you know, we're going to make democracy work. We're going to give everybody a fair shot. Yeah, this, this, this is a classic example of coming to a gunfight with a damn knife. And not only are the Republicans carrying guns, they carrying AK automatic weapons. They're coming out with RPGs. They're coming out with missiles. And they're blowing the hell out of the Democrat parties. They're stripping away votes, your rights, and all this type of stuff without you even realizing because you refuse, and I say you, I'm talking about Democrats. I'm talking about minority Democrats. You refuse to acknowledge that it does not start in the White House. I don't know why people have this belief that whoever's in the White House controls the government. Whoever's in the White House controls the state. No. Every state has sovereignty. That means that states have the right to call the shots on their level. These shots are called by whoever party is in charge. In the state of Georgia, it is controlled by the Republican Party. They've got, I mean, you should have learned from when Brian Kemp was Secretary of State and he refused to step down when he was running for governor and he was implementing rules that it wiped away um, votes for people that possibly would have voted against him. And if you remember, when he ran against Stacey Abrams, he won by a small margin. Now, in my opinion, Stacey Abrams should not have lost because of the voters that were suppressed by Brian Kemp while he was Secretary of State, the reason Stacey Abrams lost because Democrats, black Democrats, didn't get off their ass and come out and support her in the way of casting a vote. That's why Stacey Abrams lost. You cannot tell me that the majority of the people in the state of Georgia have a Republican mindset. The problem is the people that have a Republican mindset, if you put them on a whole, they're coming out 
on scales of 80, 90 percent versus people that have a Democrat mindset. They come out in an area of anywhere between 30, 40, 50 percent. And when you put that in a category of people of color, shit, you ain't got nothing. You won't have nothing at all. So this is why every time some type of issue on the state level comes up, the Republicans, they just change it. Oh, we lost this. You best believe. I cannot, I cannot imagine how people would just make the assumption that the Republicans would have just sat by and done, and they have control, and they're going to sit by and do nothing while everybody's jumping around here celebrating, oh, Georgia's blue. We, you know, we changing the state of Georgia. You didn't change shit because the state of Georgia on the state local level is red. And they are going to make sure when the midterms come, when these two individuals run for re-election, they're going to do their best to make sure that Republicans go back to the United States Senate. Whether or not the United States Senate, who's to say the Democrats might gain more seats and still gain control. But people don't understand from the dynamic aspects of losing control over the U.S. Senate, having your state be responsible for actually sending two Democrats to come to the Senate and losing that power. People don't understand the impact that this has on the Republican Party. And especially people don't understand how this really fucks up their money. The lobbyist money that's allocated from each business to really parlay these funds to Republicans is is disappeared. Yeah, they might be getting a little bit of something because they probably like, okay, well, we'll lay low to the um, midterms. But you best believe they're not getting the amounts that they were getting before they became just a minority. Because some of that, now the lobbyists are like, well, we got some Democrats that we could take to lunch. We got some Democrats now that we can wine and dine. You got Because you got some Democrats that are on the fence. That Democrat, um, Joe Manson from West Virginia, I know they kissing his ass right now because he'll say something like, like I think um, Joe Biden, he wants the corporate tax to go up to 28%. Donald Trump lowered it down to 21%. The majority of the House, the majority of the senators are actually saying, yeah, we can go with this. But Joe Manchin, he's like, no, I want it 25%. And just like that, you take away that one vote because they need, they need his vote. And see, as long as they're going to need his vote, he's going to make them kiss his ass. He's going to make them, even if he just say, you know what? Like I said, the president wants 28%. Everybody else is in agreement. Yeah, 28% to pay for all his infrastructure, 
all these job bills that will get things going, programs that are sure to work. And people are like, well, how are you going to fund it? He's like, we're going to fund it off of anybody that makes over $400,000. We're going to fund it off of these um, corporations that are taking their businesses overseas. It's a brilliant idea. And he's like, I want 28%. Joe Manchin is like, no, it should be 25. For what? For, for really, for what? It's no justification for it. But he has that power. Because he can say, I want 25%. Okay, Joe, what do we got to do to get you on board? Uh, then that's when he lay out other stipulations. Because he has lobbyists that are talking to him, whispering in his ear other stipulations. Okay, well, if they do 28%, how about they give us this or give us that? And whatever they choose to break it down, it's almost like the the lobbyists for the corporations, they want something in return so that they can say it's a win-win situation. I know I got off subject. We were talking about the um, businesses expressing their disapproval. And, you know, that even takes us back to like the how the All-Star game was pulled out of Georgia, the baseball draft. A lot of businesses are uh, venting their frustration with these voter restrictions. Now, of course, Stacey Abrams has gone on record saying that although she don't want businesses to, I guess, pull out because that affects Georgians. So it's almost like, you know, what side do you stand on? Yeah, I admire the all-star game pulling out, but at the same time, when I think about how this would affect the, you know, the commerce, the hotels, the visits, the, the, the money that this would have generated. And we're talking about, you know, coming off of COVID. But see, sometimes you got to stand your ground. Sometimes you got to say, you know what, you got to play hardball. And, you know, it's, it's easy for somebody like myself to say, because you know, I don't I don't benefit left or right from the all star game pulling out. I, you know, I am a resident of the state of Georgia. Yes, I would like to see the state prosper. But at the same time, when you see the evil deeds of the governor of the Republican state legislator and you're like, OK, you're going to pull this shit. And then also expect businesses not to say nothing, not to do nothing. The other day, Delta Airline, they recently dedicated a building to Andrew Young. And what I love was that Andrew Young, as he is accepting the honors of having a building dedicated to his name, he used that platform to discuss businesses that have not come out against the voter restrictions imp, um, imposed on the state of Georgia. I thought, I thought that was beautiful. And then when you have the Republican Party of all parties coming out against businesses saying that they should not be in politics, when Mitch McConnell say some dumb shit like this, Republicans are telling businesses 
not to be in politics. As much money as these motherfuckers get from corporations, and you're going to say that it's not their place, then, of course, you know, he backtracked. Of course, he came back later, backtracked and saying, well, I wasn't talking about the contributions. I wasn't talking about the funding. It's okay to give us money, but in terms of viewing your ideals in regards to, I guess, the politics in regards to voting and things like that. No, stay out of that. But keep donating your money to us. And then, you know, also another thing that I'm hearing is how the Republicans in the state of Georgia, how Republicans in everywhere are indicating that the voter right restrictions have something that's going to benefit everybody. You know, how it will make it easier. And I guess, I guess have no questions in the future about, I guess, the legitimacy of the vote. It, 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 it don't even make sense because anybody knows that if we had a election process that made it just so easy for everybody to vote. Would it, you know, what if there was actually a month to cast your vote? You know, you still make it November or whatever November date that you choose the deadline. But up to that point, what if you could vote and, you know, make it secure? I, I'm, a firm, I'm a firm believer in that. Make it secure where you can vote on your phone vote through social media or have an app that you can actually cast a vote, but it's, it's linked to social media. All these things like this, if you had it set up where voting was that easy, that simple, they know that a Republican would never, ever win a contest ever again. I don't even know about whether or not Republicans would even win in states like Texas or these, can I call them the Canadian border states, the North and South Dakotas. I don't even think they would win in these states. Now, what disappoints me when I make that statement, because why don't Democrats get off their ass and vote? Why is it that you have to have all of these cushions for individuals to vote when another group of people, they don't need this. The Republicans, it don't matter what the weather is going to be. It don't matter if the poll, polling places close at five o'clock or it's only Monday through Friday or ballot boxes are in certain areas. For some reason, it do not affect them. It does not stop Republican so supporters from coming out to vote. And I never understood. And I won't say I don't understood why Republicans don't allow for this to hinder them. The question I have is why do Democrats get hindered or, or tangled up and stuff like this? What if what if election day was really one day, one day in a, in a, in a, in a, during that time, you just have one day 
from uh, 7 in the morning until 12 o'clock midnight. And you had, gosh, I, I would even hate to think about it. I was going to say one location per county, but I was like, you know, wow, that, oof, that, that would be, oof, I can't even imagine that. I mean, whew, I remember when I voted um, for the presidency and I was out there, I must have stood out there for three hours. And I don't know if I shared with a number of you that I had um, heart surgery. My heart rate, my body temperature had gained. It was getting so hot that my watch was actually notifying my doctor. And then I'm getting phone calls from the doctor. The doctor's indicating that, hey, we're getting these detections from, you know, medical readout. Where, where are you at? What are you doing? And I'm like, I'm standing in line voting. And this, of course, this is November. This was early. This was early voting, actually. So it was still, you know, um, might have been October. It was early voting. In fact, I want to say it was the first day of early voting. The weather, you know, it's Georgia. So the weather was like a little toasty. It warmed up and pretty much, I mean, I could feel it. I was feeling it. Of course, you know, I didn't bring no water because didn't want to drink no water because then drink water. What goes in has to come out. So pretty much um, didn't want to touch no water. But my body temperature started rising and it was getting warnings from my doctor saying, hey, you got to do something. And just fate would have it made it to a covered area where I was now out of the direct sunlight still. And that was still maybe had another hour to go before I finally got into place. But it just, I'm thinking to myself, you got to do this. There's no turning back. You know, of course, when, you know, the, um, the Senate runoff came, you know, there was a concern because everybody know Democrats don't come back out. You know, now, you know when, you, when you think about why do we even have to worry about stuff like this? Because it's like when you had a runoff, of course, there are less perks. There are less cushions that take place. So you start thinking, oh, gosh, you know, is the weather going to be OK? They're going to they're going to restrict some of the places that you can go to. And, you, just, you know, fate would have it when I went for the um, runoff. You know, I was in and out. But it just. Why, as Democrats, you have to think like that versus the Republicans, they, they, they don't have things like that. So, you know, let's, let's hope. The, the big thing that needs to happen is people need to start focusing on the local elections. That's where grassroots need to focus on. They need to focus on voter empowerment. And to me, this is a part of voting empowerment. You don't just tell people that they need to vote. You need to break down how their voting affects the big picture. Without the local state legislation, you won't be able to have an impact on the presidency. And see, to me, these are the things that need to be stressed out. Another thing um, to change the subject, 
Another thing that I noticed that after all of the attacks on Asian Americans, they are taking, and I'm, the Asian Americans, they're taking a new form of actions. What happened is, and I, you know, I've been reading about how for a group of people that have never gotten into the American political process, they are now registering to not only register to vote, but a number of Asian Americans are also looking, looking into the political offices. They're looking into the concept of not just voting and not just protesting and marching, but they are gaining the mindset to actually go to the actual source and become a part of that, which to me, that's brilliant. Asian Americans are surging into politics and public life. In my opinion, this is how you resolve issues that you disagree with. You run for office, particularly on the local level, things such as school board, city councilman, county commissioner, state representative, state senate. This is how you make change. Waiting for somebody to do the right thing, you don't wait. You run for that position. You are running for the root source, and then you make the change. And, you know, even if you lose, but you make a good run at things, people are going to recognize you. And when you lose what you do, you do just like Stacey Abrams did when she lost. She didn't just go into hiding. She actually formed an organization. And that organization is being utilized to teach and educate people on how to learn from her mistakes so that more people can actually run again. And, uh, I, you know, I don't even know if Stacey Abrams has aspirations to run for governor again, but she's also just getting people with the mindset of going into politics and into having a public life. When I say public life, you know, just basically coming out, speaking their views, speaking their disagreement with the public office. Basically, she's educating individuals on how to find the power source in regards to politics in this country. This is how it was done. And what's interesting in the past history was going back to Asian Americans, most individuals like say like um, Vietnamese, they've always had a history of being Republican. And then Indian Americans, most of them have been Democrat, but they never really got to the point where they registered to vote and much less run for office. These things are changing. And to me, I think I think it's beautiful. I love the, that concept. You know, no disrespect to how black people have been doing it. Yes, marching, protesting, forming organizations like Black Lives Matter, all well and good. 
But until you can get to the point where you're changing the laws, you ain't going to get shit. It's just plain and simple. You can march, you can protest. They're going to throw something about Coca-Cola. Delta be like, okay, we stand behind minority programs, so we're going to throw a couple of thousand dollars and, you know, support you all. But you ain't changing nothing. You ain't changing nothing. You run for uh, county commission, you run for city councilman, and then you run for mayor. That way you can put in a police chief. And then from there, you put in a police chief that you're like, I need to know what type of foundation of this police department you're putting in. That's, that's real change. That's the start of real power. This is how it is supposed to be done. Let's go to the um, Derek Chauvin murder trial. One of the things that um, took place earlier this week, they had the chief of police come in and indicated that Derek Chauvin, you know, he went too far. He actually took the stand and said he should have stopped, said that he went too far. And I'm thinking they, they should have led with this person. There was a lieutenant EMT worker that was off duty and he wanted to check Floyd's condition and was brushed away by the police and indicated that he could tell that pretty much Floyd was unresponsive, was on the stand. They, they, he should have been one of the first people to speak. The training officer for the Minneapolis Police Department indicated that this is not proper training because the lawyer for Chauvin kept saying this was part of their training. And that training officer took the stand and was like, no, fuck no. What are you talking about? What training? What 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 department are you talking about? See, to me, these individuals should should be the ones that have taken a stand and you leave with these individuals that would shoot down your case when you, the attorney for Chauvin is saying that, you know, George Floyd drug habits is what killed him. And then you get a doctor that takes the stand and indicated that no, if you look and they showed a picture of Chauvin with his knee on his neck, hands in his pocket, but it also showed that his foot was elevated off the ground, indicating that the weight of his full body was on this man's neck. And this doctor indicated that not even the most healthiest person could have survived that. So it didn't have nothing to do with his drug habit or anything like that. This in my opinion, they intentionally killed George Floyd. You know, I know they were going back and forth on first, you know, I guess I don't think they ever considered first degree murder, but second degree, third degree murder. They were going back and forth for that because they were like, you know, the issue was whether or not they would be able to get a conviction on that. I'm at the point now, based on the number of information that's coming out, I, I truly believe they could have gone for first degree murder. I really believe that 
they could have gone for that and pretty much I I I just I know it's a stretch. You want to get the conviction, but I'm just, you know, and I'm at the point now, I believe they're going to get this conviction, but the sentence, from my understanding, the max that he can get being convicted on second-degree murder, I think it's 13 years. And, of course, you know, good behavior or whatever or um, eligible for parole, that might be five years. So the do all this, and, you know, you want to say, okay, well, his his career is over, you know, his life is over. You know, in this day and time, I'm telling who will hire Derek Chauvin. Derek Chauvin may go get out five years from now, and he could be where I know black water is not functioning. I know it don't I don't I know it don't go into that name. But any, any law program, they have the right to hire him. Even if he just go to some little small sheriff department in some unknown county. But I do not believe that Derek Chauvin, after he gets out, will have to really search for work. I just, I don't believe it. I do not believe that it's going to be hard for him to find a job. I truly believe that people are going to Hire him. People are going to want to hear his story. I mean, I was just thinking to myself, I've never heard, um, I don't even know what Derek Chauvin sound like. I've never heard him speak. And I'm sure once his time is up, I guarantee he's going to, and I, you know, unless they put some type of loophole indicating that he can't, which, you know, you really can't stop. Because they can have all these different fundings for him, um, help him get started. Uh, you know, I guess, you know, he'll be a convicted felon, so, you know, he can't run for office. But any private organization can hire him to be their spokesman. And, you know, who's to say after Chauvin gets out, he might say five years from now, I did my time. But if I had to do it again, I'd do it again. And he can he could do that. And it's nothing and, and people will come and hear him say this. I mean, this is just the type of country that we live in. I want to talk about Marilyn Mosby. I think I hope I'm saying her name right. She's the state attorney for the city of Baltimore. And what she has done, she has decided to use her prosecutor uh, discretion to not try non-important, non-threatening cases. She's indicated that she's not going to bring this before courts. Now, of course, COVID played a part because there were a number of cases that were thrown out or pretty much pushed aside because of COVID. I guess some of these stipulations or restrictions have been relaxed because, you know, COVID you know, from a certain point is, is I hate to use the word that is dying down because it's not, but we are starting to move around more. What she is saying that she is going to continue the COVID restriction case mentalities. Basically, she's indicating 
she's no longer going to prosecute bullshit crimes. And when I say bullshit crime, I mean, you know, simple drug possession, prostitution or sex work related crime. You know, somebody peeing on a building. You know, she's basically saying, we're not even bringing this stuff to court. You know, and um, if I may read her um, actual quote from her press release, it states, today's America war on drug users is over in the city of Baltimore. We're leaving behind the era of tough on crime prosecution and zero tolerance policing, and we will no longer default to the status quo to criminalize mostly people of color for addiction. This is a major step because anytime a person reached the level of prosecutor, the next step is usually some type of local political position. Most time is attorney general for the state or governor of the state. And one of the things that they have to show as a prosecutor is that they brought everything to trial and to build their conviction rate is not only just bring 100% of everything. Like I said, they brought the prosecution, sex worker, public urination. They bring all this stuff and then have a conviction rate of 90%. But people don't understand that jams up the courts. They're criminals of serious crime that are more so thinking they're going to get off even before they step out and say, I'm going to commit this crime today. They have the mindset, if I get caught, this is going to happen. The jails are full. They're going to cut a deal with me because they don't have no room in the jail. They don't have no time in the court. They criminals know this. What she is coming up with the concept is that she is going to only bring charges to court that are crimes that are horrendous. The thing that you also have to know that since she has implemented this, the incarceration rate in Baltimore has gone down 18%. Violent crimes, like I was saying, violent crimes have decreased by 20 percent because the criminals that are now thinking that they can go out and, I guess, inflict these crimes on individuals. They are now coming with the concept that the prosecution rate for me is higher now because they're throwing up. The courts are not filled up. You have. Uh, court-appointed attorneys that have more free time to focus on prosecuting me. So now this is a deterrent. So it caused violent crimes to go down 20%. Uh, property crimes have gone down by 36%. Because when you take the focus on being tough on all crimes and you're now focusing on major crimes, the criminals now realize that they will be prosecuted in a more timely manner and no longer have the mindset 
that their cases will be lost in the system. Like, especially someplace like, someplace like um, Baltimore, I can only imagine. You commit a crime and you get bail. So you sitting, waiting, 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 waiting to the point where if you probably haven't committed more crimes, it pretty much when your docket comes around, they will probably just say, you know what? It's, it's been 18 months, 36 months. We'll cut you a plea deal. And with that type of time, you know, probation. Yeah, they'll give you some stupid probation. Oh, you're going to be on probation for 10 years. And you got to pay fees and all this, yada, yada, yada. And you're like, yeah, I'm good. Because the system was so backlogged. But now you take away all this other stuff. And they're like, um, you commit that crime on Saturday. You come to court on Monday and you got convicted. Boom. You in jail. Now the next person is thinking, okay, uh, this is a whole different game changer. I think I'm going to sit at home. I think I'm going to do right. And then they get added to the stats of crime going down. I mean, it's brilliant. The sad part, why hadn't people thought about stuff like this before? Well, you know, let's be real. Jails are a private business. The war on drug is a sham. All this stuff, you know, you know, we can go, we can go on and on about this stuff. Another thing, I love how President Biden is moving in an unprecedented direction in regards to the federal um, appellate courts, where he's um, trying to place black women in these positions. Currently, there are three openings and all three openings have black women as nominees. And what people fail to realize is that this level of court, if these black women are appointed to these seats, these courts are the next level for the Supreme Court justice. So let's just say for hypothetical thinking, if these three black women are appointed to these benches and the next Supreme Court justice becomes available, 99% chance that Supreme Court justice nominee will come from those openings, which is all black women. So. 99% chance the next Supreme Court justice will be a black woman. Think about that. Last but not least, before the recording of this podcast, Brother Earl Simmons, a.k.a. DMX, passed away. Um, I think last week he was admitted into the hospital for overdose and pretty much from that point, went into a coma. From that point, you heard stories that pretty much he was brain dead. And I don't know what took place after that. I don't know if they just, I guess the term would be pulled the plug or did he pass away? You know, either way, DMX is gone. Uh, again, some of the songs that he had, you know, I don't think there was ever really a bad DMX song that I didn't like. Of course, my favorite song was Damien, you know, and I like the song simply because it just, it conveyed to me 
be careful what you wish for. Or you can't get something for nothing. Or there's a cost to some of the things that you want. I just, I just like that story. The song had a story. In fact, um, some of you know that the, there's like three parts to the song. And all, part, all three parts, they on point. So again, you know, rest in peace, DMX. You know, from what I had read about him, was really trying to turn his life around. As a clinician, I understand the impact that substance abuse can have on an individual's life. I understand how people do their best, try their hardest to overcome. Always tell the concept that digging, digging the hole really takes nothing. But when trying to climb back out of that hole, it's, it's not as easy as most people think. You know, the things that people have shared, you know, in the public was that his life, though 50 years old, he accomplished a, a number of things. You know, and one of the things also I noticed about him, you know, he, did, he didn't have a hit record for a number of years, might be over 10 years. You know, his money, to my understanding, was, was low. But he never, ever really dwelled on that. That's not what you even thought of when you came in contact with him. He just expressed the joys of just being alive. The joys of giving his testimony in regards to the new path that he was on. And you could you could feel it. You could see it when you know when I used to just listen to him, hear the stories about him. So again, you know, rest in peace. I'm gonna wrap this up. As always, love to hear your views, your opinions. Follow my page on Facebook. Follow my group on Facebook. Would love for you to give me your opinions, your ideals. Your agreements, your disagreement, I love to hear it all. Hope to hear from you. Until then, this has been another episode of There's a System to This Madness podcast. I am Osaze Shabazz. God bless. Be safe. Take care. All right, guys. Thanks for listening to There's a System to This Madness podcast. If you like what you heard and you want to hear more, be sure to like and subscribe. To continue the discussion that we had today, make sure to check out our Facebook page. See y'all next week.